Hi, this is Ryan Bloom. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, a dynamic conversation with the president and principal team behind X10 Architecture in Los Angeles. We'll have a dynamic conversation with President Monica Hafelfinger and Scott Utterstrom, principal of the company, how they came together, inspiration for Monica growing up in Switzerland, density in population, what inspires them, how they connect the indoor and the outdoor in projects in California, Europe, and the Middle East, and more than anything, their incredible vantage point on how the consumer is evolving and the role that indoor and outdoor plays in creating a truly balanced aesthetic, visual appeal, and quality of life. Enjoy the episode. I feel compelled to say or ask that given the impact of of, of COVID on all of us, and especially in, in California with the fires. And then uh, before talking about anything related to design, business, architecture, I, I just need to ask, how are you, your families, your community? How are, how are you doing? You know, it's been a challenging couple of months um, for everybody. And um, we're just like everybody trying to make the, the best of a not so great situation. So hanging in there. Good. Well, where to begin? I mean, I'd like to jump right into Sky House, but I, I have to. It's like it's like I can't have the ice cream sundae before the meal. I have I have to wait <laughs> a little bit. Um, I've been following your work uh, for long before the idea of this uh, podcast series came up. Uh, I've been very uh, very inspired by uh, by by your work. Um, I would love to hear Monica Scott a little bit about your stories uh, individually and then and then collectively uh, where you grew up, how you got to where you are today, what inspired you, education, just a little bit of a little bit of history or story about about you and 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 the firm. Okay, well, I, I guess I will start. Um, so my name is Monica Heffelfinger. I was born and raised in Basel, Switzerland. I moved to the U.S. Um, when I was 21, and um, you know, I thought, like many many Europeans, I thought, well, I'll go there for one year, and then I'm going back home. My mom, born and raised in California, so I had this very strong connection to California, and uh, I moved here initially just to you know spend time with with my mom. Um, but I ended up studying architecture here at USC, and then later graduate work uh, at Columbia in New York and just fell in love with, with uh, California. Um, let's see what else. Um, from there, I had some, I spent some time again in Europe. I worked for uh, Herzog and Demerol in the nineties and then came back to California, um, worked here, eventually started X10 with my late husband, Austin Kelly in 2000. And, um, you know, just kept on, kept on working. Uh, Scott joined us very early on, uh, now principal at X10. And uh, we've just been fortunate to do great projects, he, mostly here in California, but also in Spain and the Middle East, Switzerland. Yeah, that's, I'm, that's part I'm of gonna, my I'm, story. I'm going to ask you about those because I've been I've looked at a lot of those projects on your site and on your Instagram. And Scott, I understand not as not as far of a departure as coming from Switzerland, from Portland, Oregon, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You made the yeah. move south to tell me a little bit about uh, about that. Yeah, so born and raised in Portland, 
um, and moved down to California for undergraduate school at uh, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Um, studied abroad in uh, in Copenhagen for a year. Um, and, you know, really, I think most of that was just uh, a lot of it was traveling around and visiting kind of prominent architectural works throughout Europe. Um, so that was a great, great experience. Uh, went to work for uh, another firm in LA after graduating AGPS architecture that has another Swiss connection. Um, and uh, after kind of getting my, getting my feet wet for three years there, went uh, to graduate school at UCLA. Um, and after that started working for X10 architecture. So I think uh, kind of the, the Swiss sensibility was, you know, something already ingrained in me. Um, so that was a pretty easy transition. And uh, I've spent the last uh, 13 years at, yeah, developing, uh, developing that firm. Small world, when you talk about uh, the idea of Swiss influence, my partner, Stefan, in Urban Bonfire, who is the really the product designer, engineer, his entire family is Swiss. His mother is actually from, uh, from Basel as well. And really? I think that he, yes, her name is Vreni Marchant. And uh, again, moved to Canada when she was young with her her sisters, and they they grew up here in Montreal. Or, or Stefan, his his siblings certainly did. But I think brings some of that innate can't necessarily articulate it, put your finger on it, but there's something cultural in that sensibility and not wasting and, and things are designed to be efficient and, and functional. And that is an undertone of everything that he does, whether it is premeditated or not. Uh, it's funny how you say, or you bring that, um, the idea that uh, Swiss thinking in things and uh, known for great quality and craftsmanship and then just the beauty of, uh, of products. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting that uh, small world as always. You know, when I, when I was in undergraduate school, my professors kept on telling me, oh, my God, your project is so Swiss. And I didn't know. <laughs> to me, it just I didn't I, I couldn't understand the, what they what they I couldn't put my finger on it. But later on, of course, you know, there's something very. Um, yeah, it's just it's just very systematic thinking, I think. And just the, the kind of like, we work on our designs and and we really try to pare things down to the absolute essence of what is needed and sort of this reductive approach there yeah i guess it has swiss roots but um we've been (laughs) we've been playing with that for you know for a long time over here now and i think with california the, the sort of freedom of of being a little bit more experimental um has helped us come up with something that's you know it's not quite swiss it's not quite californian but it's somewhere in between yeah I want to talk about that. It's it's a great uh, it's it's a great leap into the first thing I wanted to ask you about. So before Urban Bonfire was ever even a dream, I spent uh, almost a decade working in um, a very specialized type of real estate practice, planning and developing mixed use projects, uh, cities, universities, resort towns. Um, 
And one of the contributing factors that we understood and that we've researched is a worldwide movement into urbanity. And statistically, they say that, you know, in 1950, about 75% of the world's population was rural, 25% urban. And by 2050, in just 100 years, which in the history of mankind, if you will, is, is nothing, it's like a, it's, it's a blink, that number will have inverted itself, where 75% of the world's population will live in cities and in urban settings. I notice on your website, Instagram, the work you've done, and I'll just give an example in, in L.A., um, when you work on projects in, for example, Manhattan Beach or in Hermosa, where there is far more restrictive nature in terms of size and density compared to other areas where larger homes, more landscape, as an architect, as someone who is um, charged with the the responsibility and the and the joy, and I'm sure sometimes the headache of articulating your client's visions into where they're going to live and where they're going to create home. Are those types of challenges, which are very European in orientation, more dense living, smaller spaces, are those welcomed creative opportunities more challenging than your larger footprint homes where you have a lot more flexibility? I'd like to understand this because I think it's a really important discussion point for our audience is how much people are moving into urban and smaller spaces where every square inch is just critical and how the responsibility of the architect and or designer in that is just far more under the microscope than when you have an acre and you're building 10,000 square feet, you've got a lot more wiggle room. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience on, on that long-winded question slash statement slash subject. Well, I, I'll start on that, Monica. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what's, uh, what's interesting is there definitely is a scale shift uh, and a shift in attitude that you have to bring to each project. Um, I, don't think, I don't think one is kind of more challenging than the other, you know, or I wouldn't say, we, you know, we prefer one to the other. They're both great challenges, but there is uh, an efficiency that you need to attack kind of these tighter projects with um, where, you know, you're, you're really fighting for every square inch where, you know, every space of storage that you can squeeze out. Um, and in a way you're kind of with these larger projects, there's a, there's kind of a generosity of space that you're allowed to give where in the tighter projects, you're kind of always pushing up to the limits of like, well, how tight can we, how small can we make this right. And have it still feel comfortable um, or even just provide the use that it needs to provide. So. Yeah. We just completed a house in Hermosa beach where, you know, tight lot right on the strand and, it, it's just a different kind of puzzle, right? It's more, it was three stories and it's more of a vertical stacking of space and yeah, really, really uh, maximizing things. Um, but I, I agree, there's there's no preference. You know, when, when we get to play with space, if it's big space, little space, we, we just enjoy um, arranging it and maximizing it for our clients. 
with and, and you mentioned earlier projects in Spain, Switzerland, Middle East. Do you see major differences, cultural differences, for example, or 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 where people want to deploy investment? And I, I don't just mean financially; I also mean time and focus and attention. Do you see real difference and nuance in clients in California versus European that you can um, put your finger on and, and create certain? Um, you see certain styles or trends are more important in some places than others or, or vice versa? I, I actually see a lot of commonality. Okay. You know, our clients, they want to they create a, a, just a comfortable space for their family. Um, and, and that, you know, whether that is in um, um, Spain or, or here, it's the same. It's the same. They want to create a, a welcoming home. Um, and luckily for us, you know, this kind of the California way of indoor-outdoor living has caught on elsewhere, and, and that's why um, we get contacted by clients from abroad. But I think it's more of a common thread rather than necessarily differences that we encounter. You know, I think also just like a lot of the reason that we're contacted for these projects, right, are really that they want they want us to bring kind of our approach and our kind of uh, I guess, approach to California living to these locations, right? So, you know, I think it's us finding a way to take what we do already and kind of adapt it to some more specific local conditions um, mm-hmm. rather than trying to start with what's happening there. I think, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think what from what certainly from what I see, and I'm obviously uh, biased because I'm in the outdoor space activation world. That's really what the heart of what of what we do is. What seems to be interesting, and Monica, it kind of goes to to your point: the idea of California living, where it's it's a fairly simple deduction to make that with gorgeous weather, inside outside living quite seamlessly is far easier there than it is in Montreal or in Switzerland, for example, just based on weather and and climate. But I think you're you're you make a very astute point in that the idea that indoor outdoor California living is spreading on an almost worldwide basis, regardless of climate. Um, What do you see as the, I mean, this is a, it's not new, but it's certainly been in an accelerated pace over the last decade, certainly. Can you, what do you attribute that to over the last while that it's, that idea of that California living is so intoxicating and so desirable that everyone wants a piece of it? I mean, I think it, I can only put myself back in my shoes when I when I thought I would only spend a year here, and I've spent many many years here. I mean, there's something to the way of, of, of you know this laid back California style is just it. It's I mean, once you once you've experienced it, I think everybody wants to wants to um, have a little bit of it, even if their their summers are shorter and they can't quite spend so much time outside, but just to really take full advantage. And now I think with COVID, you know, there's the other element. People need to be outdoors as, as much as they can. Um, and um, so I think it's just it's just a healthy way of, 
of enjoying the the beautiful climate here and and other people are i mean it's not it's you know i mean you you see that in europe in the summertime when when all the the banquets and tables are put outside and everybody is enjoying the 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 sunshine it's just i think it's human nature and we are drawn mm -hmm. to this kind of Okay, I, I don't want to say camping necessarily, but human species loves being outside. And um, we, we're just lucky that we get to spend a little bit more. You know, it's, it's December here. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, so I think, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the other things that, that translate, right, despite... Uh, you know, temperature differences, right, are really uh, some of the attributes of of kind of indoor outdoor living, which is just like a visual connection to to the outdoors and yeah. you know an abundance of natural light, right. Whereas, you know, I think uh, historically buildings are based more on on kind of sheltering, right, and these things are all sure. the openings are a little smaller, and so now, even in projects where we don't have the opportunity to create, like maybe a connection to a large outdoor space, I think we still are always after a visual connection. Well, I mean, I've talked about this in the past. I mean, if you think about ten or fifteen years ago, I don't know that there was the same uh, awareness of things like nano walls and huge glass doors. There was a little bit more of a visual an experiential divide between indoor and outdoor. And those lines seem very blurred today, if, if at all, where now, I mean, it, it really feels like the idea of an outdoor space, it's really now outdoor room or rooms, plural. Um, and I, I'd like to ask you, do you feel that there has been significant advancement in uh, technology as it relates to materials, uh, heat, shade, people now can have TVs outdoors. I mean, uh, you know, almost, I don't want to say everything, but almost anything that you can have indoors today, luxurious furniture, sofas, cushions, it's almost all now available. It has, it has morphed itself. Do you think that has been a contributing factor to people being more ready and willing to invest in their outdoors. It's just a lot more options of what to do with the, with the space. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, um, the glazing systems that you mentioned, but also things like, uh, you know, the fabrics that you put on outdoor furniture, they're, they are so gorgeous that you can, that you can actually use them on in your indoor, <laughs> indoor sofa as well. We've the house that yeah. I mentioned earlier, um, the interior designer chose a fabric specifically for the out, outdoor furniture that the kind of beach room that's an indoor space um, has the same continuous fabric. And, you know, there's a certain ease and that is a t technology driven, right? Um, yeah. These fabrics are becoming softer and it's not, you're not sitting on plastic. <laughs> so it's sure. just, I think all these things, um, glazing, outdoor kitchen, um, outdoor heating, um, and the list goes on. I mean, it's, um, it's really helpful and, and, and sort of accelerated this. Yeah. And Scott, have you seen a noticeable shift in your clients? Um, 
interest in outdoors comparatively to say five or 10 years ago, where, you know, a lot of times the, especially at the interior designer level, the indoors or their role sort of stopped at the patio door and the outside was talk to the landscape firm. And yeah. now what we're seeing a lot of interior design companies are dropping the term interior and going just with design firm because they, for a whole host of reasons, uh, economics, uh, design continuity, full project uh, alignment, they are now not only gravitating into, but embracing the outdoors in a way. Have you seen a change in your client's interest in what can be done in the outdoor realm? Yeah. And I think that, yes, I have seen that change. And I think that it, it just starts, it kind of starts earlier on, right? It's, it's part of your kind of program brief from the clients, right? What they're looking for, you know, their list of rooms, right? The outdoor spaces that they really want are, are kind of already baked into that, already part mm-hmm. of that. And then I think the other part that you had really talked about is, you know, as a, as a design team, how we're addressing it. And I think it's, all of that is becoming more blurred, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like the architecture is moving further out into the landscape. The landscape is coming closer to the architecture. You've got, you know, the designers that of course are bridging both, uh, both aspects of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think the really successful projects are the ones where, where those you're getting feedback from everybody you know, and everybody is really working uh, as a team, right, on all aspects of the project. Yeah. We talked a couple moments ago about technology and things like fabrics and furniture. I want to go or discuss with you the idea of technology at the consumer level. I would argue that, let's say, 10 years ago, House, Pinterest, and other types of sites that inspire, educate consumers on what can be done or, or, or projects. Um, these things didn't really exist, or if they did, they were just in their infancy. Whereas today, these are tools that are readily available to the consumer who might not be able to have, you know, without it articulated, I like this, I don't like this. I love the way these steps work. I love the way this, where they might not have had, myself included, the vocabulary to even articulate to a design professional what I'm actually trying to get across. Conversely, one of the design professional or the architect's role is to extract that, I think, from the client and present it to them, the realm of possible and that vision. So the question I have is, do you see these technologies as um, – enhancers or positives to what you do or do you also see them in some ways as they can be negative or somewhat stifling to what you do because the consumer now says i want this or i don't want this (laughs) how 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 does technology play into your communication if you will with with your clients i mean i think it's a little bit similar to um when, when people, clients would tear out pages out of magazines mm-hmm. um, and do their research that way. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there's an abundance of imagery out there right now. Um, they, they, can, they can sort of visually uh, explain to us much, in much more detail what they are looking for. Mm-hmm. But I, 
I don't know. I, I, I think it's sort of, there's pros and cons, but I think it's still a plus that you can, you can get all this inf- visual information about products. Um, I think it just, it helps the consumer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and it does, I mean, it, it does change the way that we, it changes the process in a way. And I think it kind of forces you to get more specific with things earlier on maybe where okay. they kind of remain in a, a, a kind of conceptual level longer. Um, but now I think just when you're, if you have a client who's bringing a lot of images that they are really drawn to, right. It's, there's a lot of detailed information in there that you're kind of mm-hmm. sifting through early on. As you do that, I, I imagine that you, you really are in the, you're in the inspiration business, but you have very defined rules of where you can push boundaries and where, you know, designers have potentially a little bit more realm with color material, those types of things where architecture has so many scientific, factual regulations, rules, codes that inform everything. After so many years of doing this and countless projects and awards, what, where do you go for inspiration? What inspires you? Is it on a per project level? Is it in your regular lives and you take inspiration in a less defined way that weaves itself into your work? Where, where do you seek inspiration for your, for your work and your projects? I think that's a, I think, you know, I think that's a little bit of everything, right? I wouldn't say there's one location that you kind of go to, right? But that's, uh, you know, I think that's still like, sure, Pinterest, uh, flipping through that. But I think it's also Mm -hmm. looking at other other architects' work, um, other artists' work, um, photography. I think there's, uh, yeah, it's everything that kind of touches our lives. Mm-hmm. And and also of course nature, you know, just going going for a walk on the beach or or just enjoying a, a just sometimes stillness can be very helpful. Like you have you have Pinterest and you have you have all these tools, but um, just a more quiet, calm space can can also just be very refreshing. Um, going back going back to nature, I think. It's interesting, you know, I manufacture a line of outdoor cabinetry and when people say, so what inspires you? And I trace that back to the experience of me at six years old and working with my dad building this bonfire pit to burn old docks and old trees that were dead on our property. That was the inspiration, not for the actual cabinet or anything else, but for the the feeling of connectivity and the that's what has informed everything that I've done with their bonfire. That's kind of the story of trying to recreate that, that feeling and that experience in what we do. So it's, it's interesting how it can come from very subtle places um, and often very much from, from our past and not necessarily in the immediate from, from our present. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. That is very cool that you that you were doing this with your dad. 
My parents bought, yeah, my parents bought a non-winterized home on wooden stumps, no foundation, an hour north of Montreal, where I live, um, on a lake for $28,000 in 1980. And the property had not been used in almost 30 years and literally was in complete chaos. I mean, old stairs, docks in the water, fences down. And he built a bonfire pit, which was designed to be 100% functional. Just how do we clear this property? We have to literally burn off this amount of debris. And it turned into something incredibly celebratory. Over time, the next year, our neighbor brought a guitar and then people started coming over. And 10 years later, you know, a Saturday night in July, we could have 25 or 30 people around this place. And it was it was the greatest it was the greatest memory of of my youth. And I Uh learned from it the I think, Monica, you mentioned the idea of being in nature and, and, and that whole sort of concept of there's a certain simplicity that happens outdoors. And I noted that there were sitting around this, this bonfire pit on a Saturday night, there was a multimillionaire and sitting next to him on a bench was a gentleman who drove a taxi and they were both toasting marshmallows and both happy on exactly the same sort of level. And I I love the idea that it is a, it is an experience that brings out the most common and authentic parts of us, mm-hmm. I feel, t- typically. Yeah, I mean, it's those moments where you just, you, you're you able to to build something or to, I mean, even if if you go out into your yard and you, you work the, in the yard and you have this very direct, um, you know, you're, you're, work, you're working this area and there is change and there's some a transformation. And this transformation happens very quickly. And I think in the outdoors, you get that, you know, we work on projects that take a very long time to, from, from beginning to end, but kind of this, these very uh, quick um, and, but very rewarding tasks, like the, the, your backstory that you just mentioned is very beautiful. And I think it does bring people together and um, it sort of nourishes the soul. I think. I, um, it is what lights me up every day. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, it, it's not a tribute to my father who passed away uh, almost 10 years ago. Um, but it is something that I'm very cognizant and aware of that the, the simple sacrifices that he and my mother made to do this, to get us this, this property. And you don't necessarily know when you're a child or a teenager, even into your early adulthood, the impact of those types of things. But when you connect the dots later and wow, you know, what, what, you know, if they had not done that, there would be no urban bonfire. It's, it's an impossibility. You know, you can't connect the dots. Steve jobs, one of my favorite quotes of his ever was you can't connect the dots moving forward, only looking backward. So nothing is necessarily a mistake if you try and you learn and you take, you can only connect the dots of where you are today by looking backwards. And, and I think about that a lot. You know, if you had gone back to Switzerland and not stayed, how would your life have been different, you know, compared to where maybe it would have been, you know, but 
Yeah. So hard to know. We'll never know. (laughs) So true. Tell me, tell me a little bit about, and I've been on the site, I, I see the, tell me about the Sky House. And it just, from the pictures online and looking at it, it just looks so, it, it's it's breathtaking. Tell me a little bit about the project, the inspiration, the what you did. I, I would just love to hear from you. So, yes, Sky House, um, it, it, the client's uh, young family, one, one son, um, contacted us and at the time, we were, um, you know, like the, going back back and forth to Switzerland quite a bit. And the Bayeler Museum had just opened a few years prior to that. And so I don't know if you're familiar with the Bayeler Museum in Basel. It's this Renzo Piano um, building, gorgeous, uh, basically five walls with this um, very light roof structure um, that separates the different gallery spaces. And that was a little bit the kernel of the, of the inspiration for Sky House. You know, at Sky House, we have uh, these four very um, solid uh, volumes. And between the four uh, volumes, there's this um, open space that is uh, covered with, with this series of skylights. Not, you know, the building doesn't look anything like the Violer Museum, but a little bit the, the just the kernel of the inspiration came from there and the the skylights are organized on a grid and there what we were doing was basically the site is perched up in the hollywood hills and you look down onto the city grid and so this we we um wanted to echo the city grid up in the main space of the house so those were some of the the broad strokes, um, Scott. You can add add some more uh, information about Skyhouse. Yeah, I mean, I think it was you know it was similar to and to many of our projects in the in the in our kind of connection to the outdoors. I think, mm-hmm. but I think the really unique thing was the um, was kind of washing all of these main all the main. Uh, primary spaces with light with this skylight system mm-hmm. um, and I think that gives the whole it just changes the whole project and gives it such a unique feel right and so um, you know I think each of those kind of reinforce then with your visual connection right to the to the canyon in one direction to a private garden in another um, so we're kind of like kind of these slices of the of the outdoors entering the house mm-hmm. I think also, yeah. oh, sorry the, I think one other thing that is uh, different about the house is the the house is located at the end of a of a cul-de-sac and once you drive up to the house um, you sort of you sort of dip down in, into the cul-de-sac and uh, there's these two white um, volumes that have a a stainless steel door between them and that's the main entrance once you open that so there's this you come from the city you're at the end of the cul-de-sac and there's this moment of quiet um you know it's a little bit mysterious you don't know it's not a big reveal right away the the reveal happens gradually as you move in through the space uh you enter a courtyard uh where there's a, a reflecting pool with stepping stones that you, that lead you to the front door, and from there, 
everything opens up and reveals itself um, layer by layer until you're finally um, on the other side of the building where the pool, there's an infinity edge pool that um, creates the edge to the, to the canyon and then the city below. So it's, it's quite a beautiful view when you're standing or when you're swimming in that pool, actually. Hmm. Yeah. I, w I would like to say just one of the other, I think, successful features of the project for me is really the, the sensitivity of placing kind of the house into the hillside. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think from echoing what Monica was saying is just kind of like the, the experience and the approach from the street is kind of this very subdued experience. Right? And you kind of see it as this one story, uh, one story project, you know, kind of sitting in this natural uh, setting of grasses, of native grasses, um, and really just using the hillside to kind of tuck the house into it and then open up onto the canyon views. It sounds like it, it sounds like it mirrors in some ways human connection, which is based on levels and reveal. And, you know, you, we don't go into relationships with knowing everything about everybody the first time we see them. There's, you know, the idea of the cul-de-sac and, you know, getting to know someone, whether it's a person or even an activity or a hobby, whatever it may be. The idea that it's we start and we continue to evolve and there's levels and grow until we're, you know, as you say it in that beautiful place of the, of the pool and overlooking all those, it, it sounds like it almost takes the trajectory of human relationships in, in a certain way as the evolution of going through the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, I think it's, it just, it slows, every, it slows your pace down. It just, you mm. just really, it's very calming to be in that house. And, um, you know, I think this house the indoor outdoor living because it's basically an L shape once you're in the on the other side of the, the house and all of the um, glass sliders open up. So when you're when you're in your garden you're you're also in your kitchen in the family room. You're also you you have a very um, easy connection to the living room and the outdoor entertainment areas. It's it's all one big space. Um, but then you can close things off and you can be private and you can, you know, it's, it's, it, it there's flexibility in the, in the way uh, the project uh, was designed and, and laid out. Very cool. Beautiful. I want to thank you very, very much, both of you for, for your time today. I've, uh, I've enjoyed the time together very much and uh, I will continue to follow your work with, uh, with great inspiration. I, I, uh, I absolutely love what you do. I, uh, and I, I, I don't say that just flippantly. I, I genuinely look at your site and I'm, I'm just in awe of, uh, you know, really breathtaking work. And um, thank you for sharing uh, your time with me today. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you. I wish, uh, I wish you and your families uh, continued health, safety, and I hope everything uh, continues to improve in, in California and, and, and the world for that matter. And uh, I hope when travel allows, I can uh, make it to California where um, 
a lot of our businesses in California and one of my oldest and best friends in the world uh, recently moved from Hermosa Beach to Palos Verdes. So um, I hope when I come down, I get to uh, meet with you in person. It would be uh, it would be a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Ryan. Yeah, and and uh, Montreal is a great city too, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I spent time I, there and it's beautiful. Did you? I, yes, I absolutely yes. love, I love Montreal. The weather is tough, but I, I can't see living anywhere else. There is something magical about this city that uh, I absolutely love it. Pleasure. Be well. Thank you. Thank you both very, very much. Stay safe. Thanks for joining today's episode of the Fireside Chat with guests X10 Architecture. I really enjoyed the conversation with Monica and Scott, learning about their inspiration, projects in Europe, and really their opinions and their vision for what connects people to place, indoor, outdoor, and how even emerging into an award-winning home like the Sky House still has a sense of level and connectivity and exploration. I loved hearing about it, and I hope you did too. Please subscribe to the Fireside Chat by Urban Bonfire wherever you listen to your podcasts, and join our conversation on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram at Urban Bonfire. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for a future episode, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.